We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am your host. I am, more specifically, your co-host because that gives me the good fortune of doing this with a friend, my friend and yours, Dolomite, Dave Martinez, D2, your co-host as well, and my virtual companion today, D2, how are you? I'm good, and uh, it seems like we're separated again. We're not in studio, so uh, as we can tell by the audio quality, I, I sound much better, of course. <laughs> you look much better, you sound much better, and yet at the same time, we will make plans to get back together again soon. It seems like more and more people are doing that, regardless of whether or not we're together or whether we're separated and using technology to bring this together, important time and topic, if we've got our calendars correctly laid out, this episode will come out on May 17th. In between when this episode is released and that two-week cadence, we've always followed D2. We will be coming into and on the backside of May 25th, hard to believe, one year since the passing, the murder of George Floyd, which stirred the soul of our organization and our country. And we have chosen the content for this episode very, very specifically. And we're looking so very much forward to introducing you to our friends and our special guests. But T2, no doubt that we, our organization, our country is changed. And yet at the same time, still much change and work to be done. Yeah, I mean, this time last year, we were in the middle of a pandemic where we were uh, basically, you know, a lot of locations and stores and businesses were closed and um, everyone was sheltering in place. And then we had, you know, um, you know, George Floyd who got killed. And then at the same time and months later, did we find out about, you know, truly find out about what happened down in Brunswick, Georgia with Ahmaud Arbery, um, you know, that he was killed on February 23rd while he was out running and jogging. And that really truly hit us, uh, you know, as, as, you know, all of us in the run community because of how close it hit um, all of us, um, not only because it was in the same state, but also because, you know, was a fellow runner. Indeed, and still so much going on around those two items. We can think about headlines recently, still rulings being done post-verdict relative to George Floyd. Also, you mentioned Ahmad Arbery. We have headlines this month already about the men who are charged with hate crimes, pleading not guilty, still much to play out. But what we do know is that there are many individuals, many organizations, even without all the right answers, even without a history or perhaps current set of credentials that immediately qualify them, that have been willing to suggest boldness in stepping into work that must be done. And this is part of that for Big Peach Running Company. And we hope for all of our listeners and certainly the community, we have the good fortune of serving our guests today the Running Industry Diversity Coalition, two of the members, the co-chair, Chris Lampen-Crowell. He is a friend of mine, longtime friend, also fellow retailer and entrepreneur. He is in the great state of Michigan with Gazelle Sports. He and I have spent many times talking about many things, but this is the first time where we've set considerable amount of time aside to just talk about this very critical issue. Joining him Martha Garcia. We talk about her prowess and things that she has accomplished when we get into the episode prior to her current work in her own organization that we talk about. She was the director of global brand and creative communications for Hoka, which is certainly a brand everybody knows in this audience, part of the Deckers Running Industry Diversity Coalition they talk about a mission that means much. Listen to this. You'll hear it also during the episode to foster 
and to support an active community in every place we call home, giving back more than we take. We talk very specifically about how, where, and when do you see racism? And we certainly would ask you to think about that. We're going to take a brief message or we're going to take a brief break while you're listening and perhaps even enjoying this message. When we come back to the content, I would ask that you consider that question through this episode. How, where, and when do you see racism? And then, of course, collectively, D2, all of us must stand up and ensure that that does not continue and that equity ultimately is available to all. What we'll do, brief pause for you to take that question in. And when we get back, Chris Lampin Crowell, Martha Garcia, Running Industry Diversity Coalition, and a connection with this audience we know will make for certain. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back after this brief message. At Big Peach Running Company, we know that not everyone identifies themselves as a runner. Running isn't about a start or finish line. It's not about time or pace. It's freedom. It's a break. It's time for yourself. We take pride in listening to your needs. We make sure you get the right shoes so you can get back to enjoying your time. Big Peach Running Company has been voted as one of the best running stores in America by people like you. Visit us at any of our seven Metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at BigPeachRunningCo.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. Like D2 and I talked about in our intro, this is something that we can say we have been looking forward to to quite some time. And yet at the same time, we feel like this is overdue. We have continued our promise to ensure that our discussions on diversity and inclusion happen regularly here on the Run ATL podcast. Today is going to be more evidence of such, but I get to do this with friends today. We're not meeting anyone for the first time. A couple of friends joining us, certainly almost needing no introduction for those of you who have been around the running industry for any time at all. Chris Lampin Kral, one of the owners and founders, Gazelle Sports in Michigan. For those of us who have Midwestern roots, that is a brand that barely needs any introduction. They've been around since 1985. And for those of us who are now in this industry, very much including Big Peach Running Company, we owe a significant debt of gratitude for the pathways that Gazelle Sports and CLC, as I call him, have paved for us to even be in this industry. So to be able to have this conversation with him is not just a privilege and a pleasure. It is genuinely an honor. An industry icon CLC, I do not say that at all inaccurately, and certainly thank you for joining us before we introduce our other special guest. I'm gonna give you an opportunity really quickly, if you don't mind, to give us a shout out from Gazelle and something that you might share with us that is so 2021 in the state of Michigan. Seems like our two respective states have somewhat followed different pathways in and around coronavirus. I know our businesses have had similar, but also sometimes different challenges. How's everything going for you up there in Michigan right now? Yeah, Michigan is, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> First of all, Mike, uh, it's it's great to be here. Great to be connected to uh, Big Peach and the Atlanta Ener- Energy, man. It's it's awesome. Uh, just, uh, yeah, can't wait to get back down to Atlanta and, and see you and give, give you a hug. That's Indeed. for sure. But, Soon. Uh, it's coming up this year, I believe, if your yeah, calendar is still so. the same. All right. Yeah, yes, let's plan so. on it. So Michigan, though, um, yeah, it's it's exciting as as more people are out running, more people are walking and hiking, and more people are getting out in the woods and trail running and uh, biking. And um, I just was in a conversation with a um, outdoor industry uh, leader here in this town, um, and their business is just exploding. Um, more people want to be outside, more people want to be moving, and, and, and that's across the nation, but certainly here in Michigan. Um, there, there's a, a sense that, hey, People hibernate, but people still want to get out. And it doesn't matter, in fact, uh, when it's uh, 25 degrees uh, or 30, 35 maybe. Um, we, we've had outdoor eating happening here in Michigan. Like People are like, hey, we're, we're going to get out to a restaurant. And, yeah, there might be little heaters going on, but people are, people are outside um, and enjoying. And so, yeah, we're a tough bunch here in the Midwest. And, uh, 
you know, of course, we're very proud of all our fantastic running history here in the Midwest. So and, and in Michigan, um, go Grant Fisher and et cetera, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, I'll throw some names out. <laughs> nice work and certainly much to be proud of. And I will tell you, you said Midwestern heritage. I will say that, you know, you know, I grew up in the state of Indiana, not far from the Michigan line. And although I am probably going to offend some of my colleagues in Indiana or those who are also native Hoosiers, but I think Michiganders are much tougher than what some of the others in the Midwest are. Because I think for someone who was as active as I was as a youth, if I would have been exposed to how Michigan just gets after it in the cold months, whether it's running, hiking, snowshoeing, you know, obviously other sports that are popular that time of year, I might never have left. It was truly the fact that we used to go inside after we had all our candy on Halloween and not come back out until Easter that drove me to warmer climates. And I know Michigan does not follow that tact at all. That's right. We're four seasons here. No, that's (laughs) awesome. Four seasons. And maybe the entrepreneurial spirit has recently gone to our other guest because when we first got to know her, Martha Garcia, she was the director, global brand creative and communications for Hoka, oftentimes and rightfully referred to as the fastest growing brand in and around running for the last couple of years. She was recognized by Women's Running Magazine as one of the power women of our sport, and certainly that she is. But more recently, she is recognized as an entrepreneur. She started her own business just recently, I Am Collective. It has its own story that we're excited to be able to share with you today. But first, let's welcome her, Martha. Good afternoon to you. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And I want you to follow me around everywhere and introduce me. You have such a great voice and I hope to be like CLC one day with this like amazing legacy that he has. Like, so I just feel super privileged to be in conversation with both of you. Well, thank you for saying that. And and CLC is indeed someone to be emulated. And what I will say, and what we'll obviously share today is you don't need a great voice when you have a great story and you do indeed have a great story. And and we're going to start with part of the story that, that both of you share. Of course, both of you are on the leadership team for the Running Industry Diversity Coalition. And as we said in our introduction, this is not something that has been around for decades, unlike gazelle sports. This is relatively new, and I don't think anyone would say that it wasn't at least somewhat conceived out of all that was brought to the forefront over the last couple of years as we release this episode coming up on what would be known as the year mark with Mr. Floyd and what happened and has recently been rendered a verdict in the judicial system in and around Minneapolis. Certainly, we have said multiple times on this podcast how the state of Georgia has been front and center, rightfully so, including with Mr. Arbery, not far from where we're taping with other incidents many here locally are very, very well aware of. But let me read something to get us started that was written less than two years ago. And we're going to pull this from the website of the Running Industry Diversity Coalition. And the reason that I'm going to read this is I do not want anyone to miss a word. I do not want to paraphrase. I want everyone to tune in very closely as you hear this. The Running Industry Diversity Coalition is a newly formed coalition of running brands, running retailers, and runners representing black, indigenous, and people of color who are working together to increase diversity within the running industry. We are brought together by our love of running and desire to cease the existing systemic racism in the running industry and running community. The National Coalition is a working group that seeks to challenge the current status while unifying and amplifying the inclusion, access, and roles of BIPOC in our industry. CLC, that paragraph did not exist but yet a few years ago, and now it does. More importantly, it means something. Would you mind kind of walking us into how the Running Industry Diversity Coalition came to be? Well, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it really was initiated um, from um, 
activists, that black and brown activists that were really trying to change the industry um, and, 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 and create uh, a conversation with, with, running, with running communities um, around the country um, and, and were pretty much not heard, I, I would say, or heard within a small bubbles um, until Ahmaud Arbery was murdered. And, and when, when that happened, uh, many of us in the running industry um, started talking, you know, th th this is this is something that's personal. It, it, it's, it's not it's not like far from me. It's, it's like I can relate. I can now see myself um, running down a road, being chased down and, 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 kill, and fighting for my life. So all of a sudden it, it went from I understand Tamir Rice's issues and, or, you know, I, I understand what happened. I couldn't empathize the way I can with Ahmed, Ahmad Aubrey. I'm sorry. But so because of that, many of us started talking and then we connected with some activists um, that um, were doing this work already, um, but we had not been connected. And so, you know, let's just put it on the table. I'm 61 year old white male cis you know and i'm i'm i'm, I'm a very uh much um person that wants to be very inclusive i see running as a transformational um in terms of people's lives um and i thought that i was i was doing all the right things and yet there was a uh significant uh place of uh blindness for me that i did not understand how my uh my approach to inclusivity uh, was was not totally inclusive around race, um, you know, and, and around bringing people um, into that in a safe way. So because of that, we started a conversation that led to a coalition of seven people um, that took a leadership role in in this that included um, uh, activists um, that, that are runners from running crews and leaders in, in running populations in the country to brands. Um, and that's how uh, Martha got involved is we reached out immediately to Martha and Hoka, knowing that Martha had been holding the space um, with, with probably a lot of frustration. And I, I think it's, you know, most of us had not listened closely enough to what she was saying. Um, so I think that became the, really the catalyst um, to move us forward. And I, I would say, I'm, I'm going to just say one more thing. This was not easy to get going because there were three white people and, and four people of color um, that were on multiple uh, calls and Zoom meetings and got angry, um, got, you know, cried, um, just got emotional, didn't understand each other, didn't understand each other's language. Even though we were trying to come together, you know, there were days where, you know, it'd be like, I don't know if we're ever going to talk again to each other. So, um, it, but not that we didn't want to. It was just this is hard work, and I'm and, and Martha will reiterate this in her own language. But I, I'm going to say, I'm I'm happy that I'm here a year later, knowing much more. But I am still on a very early part of my journey to understanding. Um, my white privilege, my bias, uh, the, the systemic racism that does exist in, in the country and in the running industry. Um, and that, that doesn't mean I'm a racist or I want to be a racist. It means that I'm understanding what that, what that structure is in our country. That, that is awesome. And, and Chris and Heck D2, alongside the inspiration we get from CLC's answer, we also maybe now have a guest on the Run ATL podcast who's actually older than we are since he was willing to admit that. So Martha, obviously also on that leadership team, and yet when you were at Hoka, I already mentioned that that was a brand, continues to be a brand, growing very fast. We were actually, at one point, the exclusive retailer for Hoka in the state of Georgia before the Decker's acquisition. So we've seen you know, the impact that brand has had, and yet in your role, Director Global, brand and communications. And yet my guess is there was plenty that you saw and did not see in this arena. 
but you maybe more so than any of the other leadership team members could give us a sense of where this industry, maybe where this lifestyle that we serve actually is starting from if we look back just a couple of years ago. So before we think about where we can go, where were we in your estimation with the perspective that you have? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, Cause I think we're, I think we are still there. It's, I think we're holding this tension of wanting to be inclusive, but we're still pretty exclusive. It is a bubble. So to give you a little bit of context of my perspective and where I sort of came in with RIDC, so I moved from Los Angeles, California, to Santa Barbara, California in June of 2015. So to accept a role at Deckers. Uh, and at that time, I was super excited, went from a private company to a corporate company. So for me, it was like, oh, this is an amazing career opportunity. I'm going to get into corporate. I'm going to climb this ladder. Like, this is amazing. What I did not expect was the culture shock that I went through from living in Los Angeles and I have lived in very diverse cities, have a number of different, like my predominant circle is filled with a lot of BIPOC individuals. Um, and so I went to Santa Barbara and it was a huge culture shock because it took me back to being when, you know, in kindergarten, when I was the only little brown girl with really big curly hair in predominantly white schools, I stood out and I felt different. So it took me back through there. But what I was able to do is ask curious questions because I knew that the world outside of the four walls within Deckers was way more diverse than what, was, than what I was around. So I leaned into that. And as a marketer, I feel so strongly about connecting with consumers on an emotional journey and meeting them where they are and doing authentic stories that I just continue to sort of center and prioritize BIPOC stories and individuals whenever I could and, and bring that perspective to the table because I knew I was the diverse voice, right? So I did feel this sense of responsibility being a woman of color, having to do that, but it also was a survival tactic to be really honest mm. with you because I knew again that the world outside of those four walls were really diverse. So I used all of that experience to just ask curious questions, not be afraid. Um, I did a lot of practicing. There's a saying of get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I had to do that a lot because, again, I was the only woman of color in a predominantly white environment. Um, and I leaned into that, worked through it, was able to accomplish a lot of really amazing storytelling. And when RIDC was forming and the president approached me, told me about it, it was a no-brainer no for me to join because I wanted to be a part of something that would create a solution for the running industry and to hold the running industry accountable. That was really important to me because I know how scary this work could feel. I know how challenging it can be when you are someone of white privilege to sort of like decenter yourself in a way to be empathetic to another experience. Like that takes a lot of personal work and not everyone has the capacity for that. I don't hold judgment for towards anyone who doesn't have that capacity either. It's just everyone's on their own individual journey. And I just, again, wanted to be a part of the, the solution because for me, when I went into Hoka, it felt very exclusive. I grew up playing soccer in a number of different sports. I ran a lot, but I had such a hard time identifying as a runner because it just felt like that wasn't for me. Mm. I didn't see myself represented. So I took all of those learnings to find other people of color and runners of color to tell their stories and find unique ways to just make them be a part of the narrative, not because they were a person of color, but because they were a runner. So I think the industry, we like to say that running is very inclusive because you could just put on a pair of shoes and run out the door, but there are a lot of barriers to entry. And I think the way that you identify having access to footwear, having access to being able to run in a neighborhood or, you know, being close to a trail or park, like those are all barriers. So let me ask you this, because one of the things that the running industry diversity coalition does not shy away from, in fact, it was in that statement that I read earlier, and that is the running industry inclusive of both brands and retailers. But it also talks about the lifestyle or the sport where runners are included. And I think 
you know, all of us would define a runner as anyone who's making forward motion at any pace, right? It may be somebody who's walking around the block with their canine companion a couple of times a week. They are considered a runner. With us, Heck D2 put together a campaign last year, All Runners Welcome, and it was very much inclusive of everyone who was not covering any real distance at that time and certainly wasn't thinking about pace. But there might be a difference for someone who's willingly uninformed in my past and admittedly not informed enough in my present. What's the difference in approach for the running industry, retailers, and brands, and those who are runners? Because many of our listeners will never be in the running industry per se. But my goodness, I think we all hope they consider themselves runners, even if they don't publicly admit to it that often. Yeah, there's a really big disconnect. And I think it comes down to your circle and your network and people that you're around. Like that in itself can create a bubble and sort of Mm. like put these blinders on you on what you assume people feel and associate to the running industry and being part of like calling themselves a runner. Like we all identify in a number of different ways, right? Chris earlier was saying he's a white man, he's cis, he's like all of these things, right? Like I can go through my list, but I think that when you work in the running industry, not everyone, but I've, I've noticed that there's folks who do just have these blinders. And I think it's unintentional because you are like, who are the people closest to you? If you name five of your like five people who you would call if you were in a dire situation that you had to go to, who would those five people be? And what would you all kind of like have in common? Like, would they all consider themselves runners because you meet with them every Saturday morning? You know, are they all like of the same race of the same uh, gender? There's a number of different things, but I think that there is a big disconnect with working in the running industry and the community of runners. And with, the work that I have done in the past with marketing and the work that I am doing now, it is trying to create this just more cohesive energy of understanding the difference between the two and, and having runners see themselves represented internally at brands. So then they can find a pathway to work in the industry. I think that's really important because again, it comes down to, access of information. Like I had no idea about Hoka until I worked at, at Decker's zero idea, did not know the brand at all. And when my former boss Lee Cox approached me to move over and work on the Hoka brand, I was like, why do you want me? I I had that conversation with him. And he said, because you have a different perspective that no one else has. So it's, it's all of these little things that I, I, you know, excited about this conversation because I don't think it's discussed enough. Well, and I was yeah. going to ask that and, and CLC, you, I still remember when you called me. In fact, I remember where I was when you first called and said, Hey, you know, there's this idea that's being floated around. I've got a tremendous amount of personal energy, even though I'm willing to admit how much I do not know or from how far behind the official start line we may be starting. I could just sense that you were willing to really go for it, that you were willing to take those tough conversations, to take those bumps and bruises along the way. And one of the things I said to someone recently is your conversation with me that day and the work that you've done since is a little bit like the man in the arena where everybody could go back to that Teddy Roosevelt quote and look at it. But the biggest difference, and and as entrepreneurs, all of us would say, yeah, on occasion, it's okay to come up short and we're better for the experience and everything that was in that quote from Theodore Roosevelt is correct. In this instance, I don't feel like that is acceptable. We cannot not make progress. We cannot not find some success and then push for more every single day. So what is it that now you see, Chris, that you didn't see not that long ago that just gives you some hope that, like Martha said, conversation and understanding might actually reach a new height? Yeah, I... I I'm always an optimist. That's why I'm 36 years into <laughs> be, opening my doors every day and being uh, being part being an entrepreneur. So um, yeah, I think we're being being an optimist is just part of who I am. Um, so I am optimistic, and, and probably the, the most optimistic I am is because of the seven people that I've gotten to know better and been vulnerable about. And in fact, the last um, 
the, the last meeting we had, um, I started with a little monologue and just started crying. Um, and, you know, and, and people held, held me, you know, just supported me and, and, where I was at. And it's like, so I, I think that diversity, equity, and inclusion is, you know, often talked about as a business strategy, but where, where it starts is relationships. Um, mm. You cannot start, you cannot do the work without building relationships that are beyond what you thought were comfortable and maybe where, where you're at. And so, um, you know, when a year ago, um, as, or a little over a year ago, and we were starting to talk about this, you know, it was, um, I'm calling five of my best friends and including you that are in the industry, um, you're all white, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's like, I'm talking all my buddies and, and friends that are all, all white, either guys or women. Um, but it was, it, it's a very different conversation as, as you're in a conversation with um, Verna Volker, who is on, on our leadership team, who's a Navajo and uh, leads native women run. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm totally aware that I'm on Potawatomi land and Peoria land. That's where I run. I run, I did not know that. I, I was, well, maybe I knew a little bit, but I didn't, I didn't express it. I didn't, I didn't hold it in uh, honor. Um, and now I hold that in honor. I run every day on Peoria and Potawatomi land. Um, and, and that's a big difference. And I'm optimistic that, that we're, we're moving to more empathy, um, but it only happens real empathy only happens through relationships. And that's where I'm, and that's why this is a long-term work. Um, it's not, it's not a quick, like, yeah, we're going to, we 2021, we're going to do this and this and this, and then we're going to move on to our next strategic priorities. This is a strategic priority, but it's, it's built over a long period of time through relationships. Um, yeah. Man, I, I love that because, you know, where we have, I believe with this platform, a responsibility to broaden what is possible. I don't want to speak too exclusively to the running industry and those reminders you just gave us, including the importance of relationships, that's for the home. That's for the workplace that has nothing to do with the running industry. That quite frankly is for industries everywhere. So what an awesome reminder for us. Martha said earlier, I put her on the spot. She wasn't surprised, hopefully not disappointed. I'm going to continue to do that to both of you all day, but CLC, I'm going to take aim at you right now because you posted something quite a while ago now in terms of RIDC timeline, but yet still is incredibly relevant. And so I'm going to read it back to you. And I'm going to ask that you answer it as candidly as you can. And knowing that oftentimes this type of question is the one that we wrestle with in our own mind or perhaps recite back to ourselves in the mirror, but don't oftentimes have the courage to step into the microphone and, and make our sentiments known. Here was what you posted as the RIDC got off the starting line per se. How, where, and when do you see racism and or whiteness operating in our sport industry and business? And that the first time I saw it was just like, it took a second to get my breath back because it was so in my face and it was not a question I could easily swipe and go to something easier. So now I'm going to ask you that question, not just as a leadership team member for the RIDC, but truly one of the pioneers in this industry. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we should ask every day. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I, I see it when I'm talking to the events that we sponsor. Um, so in, in the event space um, and in the timing space, um, I'm, I'm frequently you know, asked to sponsor events or we're partnering with events and um, all of the decision makers are all white um, and they are making decisions um, around um, not just their identity, but their, 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 their experience and their experience and whether it's corporate experience or just race management um, comes from a white perspective um, and white perspectives aren't necessarily bad. They're just, they're just limited. And so, I mean, I think I, I you know, and, and there's a reason we have bias. I mean, I've learned this and I'm, I'm not going to be tell, tell, talk to, about bias, but, you know, those biases and, and the privilege that we have in, in, in white corporate uh, settings is, is more significant than I ever thought. 
Um, and so learning that has been important. Um, I, I talked to, um, I'm on the board of the largest cross country meet uh, in Michigan. Um, and it's called the Portage Invite, um, about seven or 8,000 runners in, in that event. Um, we're all white. We're, you know, white coaches, white uh, athletic directors, uh, white business people, a white race director. Um, and, and, and we're trying to tell, we're, we're, we're holding a place, an event that should be inclusive to everybody running cross country. I mean, that, that it's one of my core passions of, and, and it's where I'm, I, I self-identify as a cross-country runner um, and a track and field runner. Personally, it's my childhood experience, um, but everybody's white talking about that experience. And so I think you, you, I see it all the time every day now that I didn't, I wasn't aware of before. And I'm trying to change that. And I'm trying to bring in people of color to be part of those conversations. So we can, as Martha said earlier, we can hear different perspectives. Because you don't know what you don't know. And That's I'd love Martha to, to, to answer that same question about the whiteness of running. Let's do it. Martha. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. It's in a lot of the decision-making positions. And I think it's really important to recognize that because there is a bias that comes with that. And there's a certain level of it. Uh, there's a perspective that comes with that. And there's no shame in that. I think as humans you know, I oftentimes say what we all have in common is that we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be validated. But there's different levels to all of that, that uh, someone who is a person of color experiences coming in, being in a corporate environment and being like the only person of color in a circle, right? There's an extra level of burden and emotional burden that is put on individuals when they are of color and they are the only. And it happens because... I don't know why it happens, but I, I I can't give you just one answer, but I think it's we struggle with decentering ourselves. Hmm. Well, and I, I think in, you know, when you think about whiteness and running, it it's always been very siloed in one perspective. And we have, you know, folks just haven't de like decentered themselves. Well, and I and part of why I, I bring this up is because it did make such a mark on me when I, I first saw it and the RIDC was an official entity and, and progress was, you know, if not pledged, at least given some potential. And two of the things that we've talked about, in fact, on this podcast and certainly in our organizations where we recognized our whiteness, and Chris, you can appreciate this, you know, the selection process we've used for evaluating where we put stores and ultimately communities where we have the good fortune of doing business and our recruitment processes. You know, we have the good fortune of a certain percentage of our team members being black or not being white. And we also have the good fortune of serving many black and non-white people every single day. But I have to fully admit that was accidental. It was not something that we were doing with the heart that is, in my opinion, available to those who are willing to answer the question both of you did honestly. Martha, one of the things that you've done, and, and I did say this earlier, and of course, our appreciation, and I think I can speak for CLC here, for you and your launch into the world of entrepreneurialism is genuine. And yet at the same time, you also have a unique perspective, not only to add, but you also have seemingly unique and, in my opinion, very, very, very underrepresented work to do. And I am now on IamCollective.us. For those of you who cannot wait for the show notes, check that out right now, IamCollective.us. The mission of Martha's agency to nudge brands to become the leading example of inclusive marketing. What does Martha and her team do? They empower brands to form authentic connections with underrepresented communities while ensuring those communities are seen, heard, and supported. And I remember when I was at the Coca-Cola company, there were strategies for marketing to Latinos. There were strategies for marketing to black. We did the, at the time, what was predictable. We did black marketing by tying it to the Sprite NBA sponsorship. And we did Latino marketing by tying it to the Fanta brands and connecting it to World Cup or other, you know, soccer 
or at least what we would call here in the state soccer or football marketing efforts. I look back, I'm like, how shallow <laughs> is that? And yet I get at the time I was working and still incredibly proud of the fact that they're based here in Atlanta. That seems so shallow at this point. But what you're doing, I mean, this stuff, this is different now. This is not only something that can have a huge impact on a business, but quite frankly, a generation and how they think about brands and what they stand for. So give us a, a kind of an origin story, if you don't mind, Martha, on I Am Collective. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That made me laugh because it's so funny how it just check the box marketing could be, right? It's like, and this is where your unconscious bias comes in. You just make these assumptions that because you identify as X, you will like X. So I, I, I think so, it's so you're so saying that not all black people like Sprite or all Hispanic people drink Fanta. Fanta right. And we don't all like football or, you know, like it's it's because it's we so we like to put people in boxes. And when I think it's easier and you and I think what makes a marketing team strong is thinking about layers and nuances. So my intention with starting I Am Collective, it, uh, 2020 like knocked me down, uh, if I can be really honest with you. I experienced a new level of burnout that I didn't know I had within me. Um, and it was a carrying just a, a, the emotional burden of being a woman of color, working in predominantly white institutions and navigating all the systems that I had to navigate. I felt like I was starting to assimilate again. I felt like I, couldn't be myself. And that felt mm. really scary to me. I didn't want to not feel comfortable within my own skin because I worked so damn hard to be comfortable in my own skin for my entire life until, you know, up into this day. But so I, I had that experience. And then I also just saw a lot of, I saw how 2020 was so challenging for marketers and communication experts. Mm. It was one pivot after the other. It was making adjustments to all of your external communication, kicking off with COVID. Then, you know, uh, the story of Ahmaud Arbery's killing and then, you know, George Floyd being murdered. And it was Breonna Taylor. It was just like thing after thing. And I knew that when Nike went out with their communication that I called it, I remember telling my my boss at the time, if Nike goes out with this, Adidas is gonna go next. We need to go after. Like it was it was like this no longer isn't it's not something that you don't talk about because it's human rights. It's not a political issue, it's human right issue. So this now, you know, a lot of pe folks have been saying the only thing that has changed is that there's cameras now. That's that's what's happening now than what was happening and has been happening for many years. So I, you know, experienced all of that, worked on it with a really amazing team, pivoting communications day after day. I remember early in COVID, there was like a full 24 hours where myself and the senior copywriter, Alex Kurt, who I admire and love so much, we stayed up because we were just like pivoting communication and having to like figure out the best way to talk about COVID. There's so it was extreme burnout that I experienced, but I also just started seeing a lot of fear in people, not knowing what to do next. Uh, a lot of fear in white allies who I know that I do not need them to be fearful. I need them to be an accomplice and I need them to hold this tension and this discomfort because if we are going to talk about challenging systemic racism, we need white folks to also do their part in this, right? Like it can't just be, BIPOC who are challenging the status quo every day, who are carrying this like emotional burden, we need allies with us. So, um, you know, experiencing burnout, going through a number of different things. I was also just feeling like for me as a woman of color, I didn't see myself represented in leadership roles. I took, you know, did some coaching, found outside sources to sort of like guide me of marketing executives of, of color at Google and a number of other organizations who coached me. And I just decided that corporate America was no longer for me. I didn't see myself um, represented. And I also felt like I couldn't be myself within those structures. So it was best for me to try to be really brave and courageous and self-fund my own company to do something that I feel so passionately about. I love marketing. 
Like, and I just so happen to be a woman of color, but that doesn't mean that I'm like a DEI expert. Like I understand perspectives, but I can give you a really great marketing strategy that is layered and nuanced and that is very intentional with reaching communities who are you're trying to go after in an authentic way. So that's how I am collective came. It's, it's, it's very personal to me because this is my life and I want to bring my whole self to the table to everything that I do. So I felt like I needed to leave a certain structure to create my own path forward and future to just test it. And yes, I can always go back if I wanted to, but I worked so hard to create this financial cushion that I wanted to take that risk. And I have an amazing partner and husband who supported me with this, this vision and holds my hand every day. Um, so I was able to do that. Wow, that is awesome. I, I think about times when I've heard this expression, even if it's not said always directly to me, it's not personal, it's just business. I've always said, make no mistake, it is personal, it is business. And you just gave me the best cheering section of all time with the way you talked about I am collective and the truth behind that. So, so thank you for that and for the work you're doing. I'm gonna keep you on the spot if that's all right, Martha. One of the things you're on record with me saying is that you recognize that there's fear in marketing. And my guess is the same is true in communications. You talked about the necessities of having to make statements and to pivot in order to do that. What I saw last year was a confidence that at least in my own organization or my own mind did not exist, that we didn't always have to get it right, that we now had a license to indicate we don't have all the answers. And maybe even more liberating, that it was going to be okay if not everybody followed us or believed in what we were doing, that we had to be true to who we are. My favorite Seth Godinism is people like us do things like this. And we were now willing to step out and say, this is who we are. This is what we believe is right. This is what our principal mandates we do. And we just felt like, gosh, how much more comfortable is that than trying to please everyone or say each word perfectly. But because you're on record of at least me and the influence you have with me of knowing marketing sometimes can be dangerous and scary. Communications does bring fear and trepidation. What is it that you would say now that all of us should take to heart when we're communicating or as we develop marketing plans promotional activities for our market that would not have been the way we did things even a year or two ago. Yeah, you nailed it with talking about values. So I think leaning in and getting very clear on what your values are. But I think also just think of your brand or organization as a human. Like if mm. your brand or organization was your friend, what kind of friend would you want? And sort of approach your communication <laughs> that way, because that makes you more humble it makes you more approachable it makes you gives yourself you give yourself the space to make mistakes and be able to humbly say i'm sorry we messed up we will do better i think learning how to apologize is a really really powerful wow. tool that brands are learning to practice and they've never had to do that publicly before um and I think that there's a fear because of accountability. And I don't believe in cancel culture. I think it's just accountability. And people are afraid to be uncomfortable. They're afraid to not please everyone. And that's why marketing and communications has been so challenging for so many different folks. And I think that it's even more challenging when you do not have black indigenous and people of color that are in decision-making positions. And like, yes, have them in decision-making positions, but also trust them to do their jobs because that's another layer of it as well. So that would be, that's sort of my, the best advice that I, I can give someone sort of thinking about communications and building a plan that's inclusive. And I love that. We've got some terms that they could be all the show notes we need when you think about relationships, you think about trust and then the term you just used, Martha, accountability. Okay, we've talked a little bit about the past, never enough. 
we have given everybody a little indication of the present, whether it's the RIDC, I am collective, some of the work that you and your leadership team are doing. Let's look into the future a little bit to the extent that we can. And that's maybe six or 12 months out. I doubt it's any more than 24 or maybe 30 months out. And that is what does better look like? And CLC, I'm gonna start with you. Martha gave me the opportunity maybe imagine what my friend would look like if it was our brand with a name and a personality and a human being. I would probably think, gosh, it's a lot like CLC. So with all the empathy I can muster, I'm going to put you on the hot seat first. What does better look like over the course of time that we can at least see ahead of us in this space? Less whiteness, more diversity, more inclusion, and certainly a better running industry and a better lifestyle that we're all part of. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I go back to it, it, it's personal. Um, I think that uh, we as runners um, really, really appreciate running and health and fitness and uh, that, you know, that moving forward that you're talking about, that pedestrian lifestyle that uh, Big Peach promotes. Um, and what we want to do, what, what is better is making it safe and making it comfortable and making it inclusive so that we do have uh, a very diverse population of people um, joining us. And, and, and joining us doesn't mean they're gonna be in our running crew um, because maybe they don't have time on Saturday morning because they have kids that, so your Saturday morning running crew, they can't, they can't join. Uh, but but maybe it's a, a, a different moms group that they can with, you know, moms of color or something like that. But what what they have is a sense that running is a place that I feel I can fit. I see myself and I am safe because I think safety is an important part of it. Um, and if, if you, you you don't feel safe if you don't see yourself there. Um, and, you know, I didn't understand that either. You know, so I think having finding ways again. I think some of it is systemics, but some of it is, is personal. You reaching out, you know, uh, Big Peach and, and, uh, and Mike reaching out across, uh, you know, a, you know, into, into a, a neighborhood that you, you haven't reached out into, finding those champions that are into health and movement and saying, hey, let's sit down. How can we support you? That doesn't mean you're joining Big Peach or Gazelle Sports. It just means how do we support you? We're doing that in Kalamazoo, where we have a group called Run This Town. Um, uh, three young black people are starting this group, um, and we're, we're going to be shoulder to shoulder with them, helping them get the launch this on June 1st. Um, th this going to be a very diverse group of people that meet every Tuesday night. Um, they have a great, uh, great group that's, that's already running. You know, it, it, this is what we need to do, say we'll help support you in doing what you do because we feel so strongly about running. So that's in running. The running industry though is extremely white. Let's let's face it, um, the, the C-suites of the brands, the ownership of retail stores, the um, ownership of race management and timing companies, the um, actually the uh, executives in many of the running nonprofits around the country are almost exclusively white. This can't exist in, let's say, 36 months. We have to have more employment. We have to have more leadership. Um, as Martha said, we have to have people in, uh, you know, BIPOC people in decision-making roles and hopefully equity roles, places where people have ownership and can make decisions and build and build wealth. Because I think that, you know, I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, an example of, I, you know, and Martha's going to soon be an example of doing your own thing and building, a, uh, building wealth around your idea and bu building that energy. So it's passion and there comes the economics with that. That is a good thing. So we have to say that's part of what we wanna do in the running industry is help you know, BIPOC people be part of this and build their own wealth through, through their own equity and hard work. Man, that is awesome. Maybe I should have gone with some Southern hospitality and said, ladies first or something like that, because that is going to be tough to follow, Martha, given that he spoke to me as a fellow owner in this industry and certainly as someone who recognizes the privilege it has been to be white and to have the opportunities I've been given through no 
real reason other than just accidental good fortune of where I was born and, and to whom I was born. But Martha, you're going to come at it from a different perspective now. And, and what I do is ask the same question. What does better look like to you in the time that you can see ahead? Yeah, Chris mentioned something that is really important for me to amplify, and that was asking the question of how can I support you? So that in itself, you're starting to decenter yourself because this is, an, uh, is especially to white folks, right? It's like, how do you use your privilege to help amplify and support someone who is driving a very different perspective, but you can help them in a number of different ways. So I just want to, I think that's an important concept for folks to, to think about um, and better, better looks like accountability for me. I, you know, I want to see that your words match your action and that your action matches your words. Mm -hmm. And I'm no longer settling for not seeing that. Like I've just gotten to the point in my life and in my career where I need to see the accountability come through. If you said that you want to hit a 25% BIPOC in director plus positions, great. I want to see you hit that. And I want to see you create pathways for career. I want to see you create an environment of psychological safety. I want to see the accountability. I want to see you take this personally. So that's what better looks like for me. I want people to have to put a bit of the emotional burden into this work and to pace yourself. Like you're not gonna create change right away. And I know that. And I know that I live with a sense of urgency because I have a lot of historically excluded identities. I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color, I'm an immigrant. I didn't become a US citizen until uh, 2011. So there, like I just have had a lot of different challenges kind of stacked up. So I naturally, operate with a sense of urgency because I want to change, see change now because I've waited long enough. Like I've lived my life this way. So I think better looks like accountability. And if we can all just really see each other as human beings and be empathetic, I think that we will be able to make a lot of progress. Man, those are words to live by right there, friends. It is Chris Lampin, Crowell, Gazelle Sports. Check them out, gazellesports.com. If you are anywhere in the state of Michigan, anytime in the near future, and you do not visit one of their stores, both CLC and I will be very disappointed. Martha Garcia, founder, I am Collective, both incredibly important voices and incredibly inspirational influences in my life and now hopefully in yours with the work they are doing. If you do nothing else from this particular broadcast, do yourself the favor of going to runningdiversity.com. That is where you can learn more about the running industry diversity coalition, the great work they're doing. And you'll want to put that in your bookmarks because the best is yet to come. Martha, Chris, thank you so much, very much for being part of this conversation. It must continue. Thank you for holding space. Thank you. Yeah, that's an important conversation and we want to keep it going. Indeed. And we want to say wherever you're at is okay. It's not, you don't have to be uh, you know, sprinting at this point. You can join us wherever you're at and you will be accepted. Wow, that's awesome. And Chris, I hope I get a chance to see you in Atlanta. Obviously, Martha, anytime you are this way, I hope the same is true. Chris, we've got some ideas to talk about, whether it is done this way or in person, preferred. Very cool things for us to come and certainly more to come after this very brief message. We'll bring it down the home stretch, but do not go anywhere. We'll be right back. Running makes you feel good. Running is healthy and good for you. Running can even be therapeutic, but running doesn't define you. You are not a runner, but running gives you life. At Big Peach Running Company, we get it. That's why we are the number one running store for those that don't call themselves a runner. That's why our guests use terms like friendly, thoughtful, attentive to describe us in reviews. Come see us at any of our seven metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast, D2 Deep Breath. And yes, that was 
worth doing, important to continue that conversation. CLC, and always love being around that guy. And Martha already feeling like a brand new friend, someone who I look to already for guidance and perhaps some wisdom in areas that we just know we still have much to learn and much to do. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that we talked about a year ago um, and uh, about continuing this conversation, you know, and, you know, you know, Amanya Alcho with, you know, you know, last year came out with uncomfortable conversations and that's what these are. And we're having these uncomfortable conversations with other people in our industry and within ourselves. And it's one of those things that we even talked a little bit about, um, truly after the mics were cut off and, and we were kind of having this discussion. I remember you asking that question of, you know, when we ask people on our team or other people in our community, other black, you know, you know, the black community and black team members, you know, and, and people of color, you know, are we doing a good job? And, you know, no one's really saying that we're doing a bad job, but are they, are they being honest? Are they truly being, you know, are they telling us what we, they think we want to hear or are they, you know, holding back, you know, so we're trying to figure that out as well. And I think the most important thing about that is that we are going to continue to try, but at the same time, I do think that, um, there's gotta be a relationship and that's something that we need to work on, you know, internally, externally with these organizations, with our team members is to build that relationship so that there is trust and that once there's trust and there can be, um, honesty and with that honesty, then we can truly grow and, and make changes where there needs to be changes made. Um, and I think that's things that we're working on that we all need to work together on. I think that's, you know, something if we can do internally, that maybe that's something that can happen outside and within our community as well. So it's something that we're going to continue to work on. We have to, we do not have it all figured out. We'll admit that we certainly do not have all of the answers and we will make mistakes and, and hopefully, find wisdom in the learning that comes from those mistakes so we can be better in the future. The Running Industry Diversity Coalition, one of two items that we've connected with as a result of our desire organizationally to see equity in the lifestyle that we serve. The other known as the Pledge, the In Solidarity Project, I figured this would be worth sharing as a way to help ourselves through you holding us accountable to this. When we became part of this pledge that organizations were given the chance to join, we were one of the first, maybe the original running store to sign it. We are as committed to it today as we were last year when every headline was about this item. They asked us two questions, and I'm going to give the answers that BP Training Company provided. And this is what we have to keep in mind. This is what we have to use as an impetus to real change. The first question they asked us, inclusion in the outdoors, why does it matter? And our response was, it is scientifically proven and historically accurate that a pedestrian active lifestyle improves wellness, relationships, mental acuity, workplace performance, and longevity in all ethnicities and income levels. So why is it not more? or equally prevalent across all societal groupings. That question, of course, remains unanswered. We need to do a better job of answering the question so we can say it has become more and eventually will be equally prevalent because the pedestrian active lifestyle matters for all. The second question was in five years or five years down the line, what is your hope, Big Beach Running Company? And we said that we can recall 2020 as a time when the pandemic became the impetus to a greater interest in the outdoors and being pedestrian active. And that it's still very much evident and growing in 2025, thus establishing a little bit of a favorable legacy for such a difficult time that we've had. Moreover, the unrest that was so prevalent in that same year needs to have resulted in a zillion times more progress and racial equity in the last years than our society had made cumulatively since colonization. Included in this wave of improvement is an affinity for, an access to, and an availability of fitness and recreational pursuits in the outdoors for more people than ever. 
with an incredible blurriness of which color of people are participating the most. Me too. Here we are a year after George Floyd, George Floyd's death, and we feel no differently. Yet so much work to do. All right. Let's take a quick transition from that. There is some exciting news to share. Our stores fail color. Why is that? So we are, you know, I'm excited about it because, you know, I, I actually had a hand in, in one of these, but the, um, we've got new run ATLTs and singlets. So, you know, we've, you know, last year we, because we were sort of kind of closed and, you know, there's supply chain issues and stuff, we didn't have a lot of run ATL um, during this time of year. And this year we're, we're back. We've got plenty of colors, bright colors for, you know, for the spring and summer. Um, a new tactical singlet that uh, I actually took a hand in and took my design skills and, and design and crafted and created sort of kind of a limited edition. And we sort of debuted it at Velo City a couple of weeks ago. And, man, it, it just it looks great. It fits really well. It's um, lightweight. It's breathable. So far, the feedback I've gotten is, has been awesome. So it's one of those things that in the past, you know, may have been exclusively a a team member type of singlet and we've always gotten that comment when we've been at races like hey where can i get that and it's like oh no it's only for for team members not anymore this is what our team uh internally is wearing and now those of you that want to wear the exact same thing thing that we're uh, wearing on, on on that starting line can wear it as well indeed very cool love the fact that it's had such a terrific response not only initially but including in that from our team because we do Look forward to going to the starting line in the stuff and the threads that you designed for us. Also, all kinds of other running, you know, little colors, tanks, singlets, short sleeves. That's all there. Check it out. V2, you are running TL. You are running TL. Together, we are all run ATL and certainly we thank you once again for being part of the run ATL community and part of why we get to do what we enjoy doing with the run ATL podcast. As we always do, we make you this promise as we depart for now in just two weeks, we will be back. But in the meantime, as we always say, certainly as we mean, may your best smile be those covered on foot.